0: welcome to the virtual coffee break podcast with the msu extension dairy team my name is martin Manuel. we have a very timely episode today as of june 11 of 2023 the new fda guidance for industry 263 has become implemented these new guidance provide the rules and regulations for the usage of antimicrobials by animal farms moving forward. Dairy educator Paola basigalupo sanguesa discussed the meaning and implications of this new guidance with the David J. Ellis Chair in Antimicrobial Resistance, Dr. Pam Rook, from Michigan State's College of Veterinary Medicine. A lot of timely information is on the way, so let's get it started.
1: Welcome. My name is Paola Vasigalupo sanguesa In this episode of Future Coffee Break, I'm having Dr. Pam Rook answering some questions about the new FDA regulation. Dr. Pam, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Can you please give us a little introduction of who you
2: are? So I hold the David J. Ellis Chair in Antimicrobial Stewardship and Large Animal Clinical Sciences in the College of Veterinary Medicine. At Michigan State. I am a native Michigander, although I am a Uper, so kind of a Michigander and have worked all over. Most recently, I was chair of animal science be- here at MSU before this position and spent 20 years at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So glad to be here to discuss this important topic.
1: Thank you. Our topic today is the GFI or Guidance for Industry 263. Can you please tell us, Ella, what is this?
2: Yeah, you know, the name of it, GFI 263, is not descriptive at all. So (laughs) it's kind of hard to understand. But The FDA regulates food safety in the US and part of regulating food safety, they're responsible for regulating all drug usage, antibiotics, hormones, everything that's given to food producing animals. And so the way that they do that is they have regulations for what's permitted. Then when they change regulations, they call those changes guidance for industry. So they'll issue various guidance for industries at various times, which basically means they're changing the rules. And one of the last one people probably remember was a guidance for industry about four or five years ago, which resulted in the veterinary feed directive, which took all antibiotics given in food or water away from over the counter, away from just being able to be mixed based on a feed distributor into requiring basically a veterinary prescription. So that was kind of the last one. And that was part of the last five-year plan. And this guidance for industry number 263 is kind of the next step in that. And um, this is part of the most recent five-year plan with the goal of improving antimicrobial usage on farms. Um, It didn't come out of nowhere. Two years ago, they announced that on June 11th, 2023, the rules would change. And so last Sunday on June 11th, the rules did change. As of last Sunday, according to this new regulation, all drug companies must ensure that all products, all new antibiotics going into distribution channels have to be labeled as prescription products. So distribution channels would, could be feed stores, they could be drug wholesalers, they could be veterinary clinics. But as of last Sunday, there are no antibiotics being shipped from manufacturers to the distributors that have over the counter labels. Now, this is a little different than the veterinary feed directive. When the veterinary feed directive went into play overnight, the ability to put over the counter antibiotics into feeder water vanished. In this instance, the FDA is allowing existing inventories that were over-the-counter labeled products last week to still be sold until they're all gone. So if there was a product on the shelf Saturday, June 10th, in a distributor that was over-the-counter, that label is still over-the-counter. It can still be sold. It's still good until the product uh, expiry date comes up. But all new products going into distributors have pres- requirement for prescriptions from veterinarians so this is there's a phase in period essentially for this
1: and on the same topic what if i as a producer if i have a bottle left of any of those mm-hmm. medications that are on the list and i use only one dose of a multiple dose bottle can i mm-hmm. keep using that bottle
2: you can according it it's completely legal if you purchased uh, a product legally that that has an over-the-counter label um, last week, last month, last year from any source. You can continue to use that over-the-counter until the expiry date or until you use that up. You just won't find um, new products at your distributor with an over-the-counter label anymore.
1: Yeah, that's quite a difference with the FDA. Mm -hmm. uh, That makes this transition a little bit easier for producers, veterinarians, and farm stores. It does. So what is the main goal or what is pushing the FDA to start applying all this guidance for industry and ultimately the one that we're talking today?
2: This is part of a continuing plan of the FDA to improve usage of antimicrobials to have more oversight about usage of antimicrobials with the goal of maintaining the effectiveness of existing antibiotics and limiting the emergence of superbugs or resistant pathogens, bacteria. So this is part of a, of a plan that is just gradually trying to ensure that we don't have a huge population of resistant organisms present in our environment, contaminating our food, or in places that people can come into contact with them. So it's a long-term goal to ensure that when antibiotics are used, they're necessary to ensure the well-being of animals and that the right antibiotics are used at the right time. So it's just a part of a long-term plan to continue to improve antibiotic usage.
1: Long-term plan that it's probably doesn't have a deadline or an end date, right? It's going to
2: continue. That's right. (laughs) Well, I'd say across my career, um, you know, I started as a veterinarian in practice in 1984. And across my career, I think that we've had fewer and fewer antibiotics that we have access to to treat food-producing animals. And I say that Um, Also acknowledging that I think the health of the animals that I work with has never been better. We've we've just continually improved our prevention of disease and also that when animals get sick, we have enough antibiotics and effective antibiotics to be able to effectively treat the bacterial diseases they get. So while we've lost a lot of antibiotics, while the rules have changed, while the rules have tightened, I actually believe that the animal health today is better than it's ever been.
1: That's something good that this rule comes in the times that we're now, where management on dairy farms is so good. Prevention of disease is so, so good that on a well-managed farms, which are at this time pretty much all the farms in the U.S., won't, <laughs> or we we can say that there might not be a big impact of this change regulations. And we're here talking about dairy animals mainly, but what other species are affected by this regulation?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. You know, you and I both spend our careers working with dairy cattle, but uh, this applies to all food producing animals. So this applies to beef cattle, it applies to swine, it applies to chickens, it applies to turkeys, but the primary probably impact of it that may be felt uh, is not on our probably larger commercial operations that have an existing relationship with a veterinarian, but probably smaller, uh, small ruminant producers that may have, you know, 20, 30, 40 goats or a small flock of sheep. And they may be located in a rural area, they may not have a longstanding relationship with a veterinarian, and they may have been used to um, having a shelf full of drugs that they feel comfortable with, have been taught to use, and now today they're going to have to develop a relationship with the local veterinarian who will write the prescriptions and have to examine animals and have that veterinary client-patient relationship. So it applies to all for food-producing animals and uh, not just dairy. And it's uh, not gonna go away. It's uh, This is the way we go forward. By the way, there are some states that this will have no impact on because like a state like California in 2018, January 1, in 2018, California banned all over-the-counter drugs already. So, um, you know, we've got the whole state of California, 40 million people, large animal agricultural industries already adapted very successfully to this type of thing so this isn't anything that i think coming out of the blue or we can't cope with
1: california we all know that it's a big state uh for dairy production and if anything Mm -hmm. we've only seen growth after that regulation for the for state for that state so if we follow the path of california for the rest of the country we should be good right absolutely I know the list of medications is very long and we're going to talk about resources for producers that they can, where they can find this at the end of the episode. But can you mention some or all of the ones that have importance to dairy farms, dairy animals?
2: Yes, that's pretty easy to do because it's a pretty short list. And it's a short list because actually there's not that many antibiotics that are approved at all, either prescription or previously over the counter for use in dairy cattle. When I talk about dairy drugs used in dairy, I normally divide them into three categories. You've got intramammary products, um, which are used either for lactating animals or at dry up. For lactating cows in the United States right now, we have five approved intramammary antibiotics. Those include Spectromast LC, which is Septifur. That was already a prescription drug. Amoximast, which is amoxicillin. That was already prescription. Polymast, which is uh, hetacillin. That was already prescription. And then we had two over-the-counter intramammary lactating cows tubes. One is the Today product, which is a commonly used Product in the market that's, that's got a cefaparin in it. And um, the other is a penicillin product, which is pretty rarely used, even though it is available. So, for the five lactating cow products, the today product and the penicillin product, which is called uh, Masticlear, those two products are now over the counter. So, you'll need a prescription for those. There's seven dry cow products Spectrumas DC, Dairy Clocks. Uh, the pen strep product, and um, I think there's one more, but of the seven dry cow products, three of them were over the counter. And that was the tomorrow product, which is now requires a prescription, the go dry product, which is a penicillin product, which now requires a uh, prescription, and AlbaDry plus, which is pen novobiasin that requires a prescription. Uh, Just to reiterate kind of the, the small impact this will probably have, while individual producers may need to change practices and get a prescription for some drugs, the market leaders for intramammary tubes are Spectrumast LC and today, and Spectrumast DC and tomorrow. Of the market leading products, it should be pretty easy to continue using whatever you're comfortable with and you and your veterinarian have decided is the best fit for your farm. So that's the intramammaries. Uh, The systemic treatments of um, what the FDA defines as a lactating cow is pretty simple also. A lactating cow, uh, according to the FDA, is any dairy animal greater than 20 months of age. So that is regardless of if they're lactating or not, they're a lactating cow. So these rules apply to all dairy animals greater than 20 months of age. There are only five approved antibiotics. The septipure, which comes in three formulations that's Naxil and LX and generics, and Ampicillin, which comes as Polyflex and generics. Those two are already prescription. And then the other three were over the counter, and that's oxytetracycline, penicillin, and sulfidimethoxine, which commonly is albon pills or, or others. And of those three, oxytet, penicillin, and sulfidimethoxine, those drugs now require prescription. Again, those drugs are used much less commonly than the Sepiafure or the Polyflex. So I don't think it'll have a big impact. Calves, we have access to more antimicrobials. There's 10 approved antibiotics. And of those 10, the same three as the lactated cows, oxytet, penicillin, and sulfidimethoxine now require a prescription. And basically in the dairy world, in injectables, it's oxytet, Penicillin, sulfadimethoxine, that now require prescriptions, and it's the today and tomorrow intramemory products, and the penicillin and pennovabias and intramemory products. That's it.
1: So not a very long list, very easy to mm-hmm. remember, and if. You are a producer listening to this episode and you heard any of these drugs that you're currently using. Now you're aware that you need to find a prescription. You need to get a prescription for the next time you you want to purchase those antimicrobials. After this rule started, are there going to be any over-the-counter antimicrobials that can be used on dairies?
2: No. Well, as the inventory that was in Mm -hmm. the distributors already that were labeled over the counter, as that inventory depletes, there won't be any replacements for that. By the way, I just want to talk a little bit about what it means to be an over-the-counter drug legally, according to the FDA. There are three types of permitted usage in the U.S. One type is over-the-counter. Over-the-counter approvals mean that the drug that you buy must be used exactly as the label defines. For example, if you buy penicillin, it may say intramuscular penicillin given for bacterial pneumonia. So that's what's on the label at a dose of one CC per hundred pounds for less than four days. So that's on the label of penicillin. If you give it by another route sub Q, If you give it for another disease, metritis, if you give it at a higher dose, three cc's per hundred, or if you give it for five days, that's not allowed under existing over-the-counter rules. That's another reason the FDA is pulling these things into prescription only. So over-the-counter drug usage implies that you are exactly following the label. That's the only legal over-the-counter usage. And that, of course, is what has changed as of June 11th, 2023. The second type of usage, which is now more prevalent, is a prescription required. Prescription required, if you get a prescription for a drug, it still must be used exactly as the label defines. So if you get a prescription for penicillin and you buy it now, the same drug that you bought two weeks ago over the counter... Unless you have a prescription for extra label usage, which is a separate process, a prescription um, usage still requires usage exactly as the label implies. So again, you can't deviate. You can't use it for a different condition. You can't use it for a different route. You can't change the duration. It has to be exactly as the label implies. So prescription usage is still permitted. Extra label usage is a permitted usage in the US, that can be either an over-the-counter or a prescription drug. An extra label usage is any administration of a product that does not exactly follow the label indication and dosage. So that would be a different dosage, three cc's per hundred or something. Different frequency, if you gave an intramammary tube that's labeled for once a day, twice a day, or one that's labeled for twice a day, once a day, those are extra label usages. A different route, if you put an intramammary tube in the eye to treat pink eye, that's extra label. A different animal, if you use a drug labeled for cattle and sheep, that's extra label. Or if you treat a disease with a labeled dosage, but the disease is not listed on the label. So for example, if bacterial pneumonia is listed and you use it for foot rot, that's an extra label usage. And by the way, there are no injectable antibiotics that are approved to treat mastitis in the U.S. So 100%, if you, anytime you give an injection to a sick cow for mastitis, that's an extra label usage of that drug because there's no approved drugs. The difference with extra label usage is that requires authorization by the veterinarian of record, the veterinarian who holds the veterinary client patient relationship for the farm. And that veterinarian is then responsible for ensuring an adequate withholding period before the meat or milk is sold. So, you know, it's important to understand the different types of usage. As we phase out of these over-the-counters, drugs that are still in the distribution channels, that usage will go away. But if you're using an over-the-counter drug, not exactly according to its label, you need to have your veterinarian involved already anyways.
1: Thanks for that clarification, and I hope producers were following those rules before this. Now, almost to close this episode, I'm going to make a bold statement here saying that I think humans, but specifically this case is this industry, we are never excited about more regulations, but I think you and I agree that this new GFI 263 rule It's coming with some opportunities for producers and for veterinarians. Can you talk a a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I really agree with that, Paula. Anytime I think, I mean, you can look at things glass half empty, glass half full, right? One of the things I think that the glass half full part of this change in the regulations is the opportunity for more engagement of producers and veterinarians to ensure that were using antibiotics in the best possible way. You know, consumers have no idea that we care about this. There was a survey done just a few years ago at, at Cornell. It was a very legitimate survey of consumers of dairy products. And 70% of those consumers indicated they felt that they had a personal risk to their own health based on use of antibiotics on dairy farms. You know, that shows us, because those of us who work on dairy farms know that's not true, that shows us the distrust that exists out there. And I think the fact that that we're going to need to have some conversations, we're going to be able to say to the processors and the consumers that veterinarians are involved in making the treatment decisions, the protocols, I think that's going to hopefully help alleviate some of these unfounded concerns that antibiotic usage on dairy farms is not being done responsibly
1: we're also going to be ready for when those consumers that are so disconnected that see this as a risk off for their health ask how are we managing the use of antimicrobials we're going to have all the years probably of to demonstrate that we are doing a good job in the industry
2: I think it gives us one more tool to say, hey, yes, we are, and you can trust us, and yes, we care, which all I believe are fully true statements. When we survey dairy producers about why they use antibiotics, antibiotics are used on dairy farms to maintain well-being of cattle. Nobody wants to treat an animal with an antibiotic if they don't have to. You've got to throw away the milk. You've got to hold on to the animal. You can't ship it for meat. People don't want to take that loss. People use antibiotics because they care about animals. And uh, this step just helps us make sure that they're being used only when they need to be used.
1: Yes. Last questions. Where can producers and industry professionals look for some resources and more information about this topic? Antimicrobial stewardship in
2: general. So in effort to have blatant self-promotion, the first place I'm going to refer people to is my Top Milk website, which if you just Google Top Milk or Top Milk at MSU, you'll come to our website. And in anticipation of this change, we have a 12-part video series targeted at producers in both English and Spanish called Antibiotic Stewardship on Dairy Farms. And the videos are short, they're four to seven minutes. And they, we have things like what's an antibiotic, why are they used, rules for using antibiotics, deciding when a sick animal will benefit from antibiotics, types of approved antibiotics, etc., cetera, et cetera. We even have one that's what drugs can't be used to treat dairy cattle and um, others about how to read drug labels. So there's a practical array targeted at producers and farm workers. And uh, I'd say stop there first.
1: Yeah. And as a person that has listened to those videos uh, and if you're listening to this podcast, you can listen to them too. You don't have to watch the video. So if you're a podcast listener while you're working, driving, uh, just Click on that playlist and it will keep running and running one video after the other one.
2: That's a good point. Thanks. I should actually promote that more, the podcast version of these. Yeah,
1: (laughs) you just don't look at the screen because I I will assume that I I listen to to them while I'm driving, so I just click play and I get the same information.
2: Yep, you do.
1: What other resources or websites would you recommend to look for information
2: If you take a look at the FDA, the FDA actually has a variety of resources for this. Many, uh, AABP, American Association of Bovine Practitioners, has a number of resources for this. And if you just Google Guidance for Industry 263, you're going to find a whole bunch of stuff out there.
1: Yeah, it's not the most memorable name, but... (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But you, you you can find a lot of information, and I think also your if you already have a relationship with a vet, have you heard vet? Ask all the questions to to your vet. Yeah. Last question, Doctor Pam. Now we're closing the episode. We are not gonna talk uh, more about antimicrobials. This is a personal question. What is your favorite kind of cheese?
2: Oh, it's
1: a difficult one. Probably
2: it's, well, it's just rife with political problems for me. Okay. I spent 20 years in Wisconsin and I have a a lot of affinity for a lot of the producers I worked with in Wisconsin, but I think I'm going to take it out here and say Parmigiano Reggiano from Italy. Um, which is in the Po Valley. Uh, I've also worked with producers in Italy, and that is a phenomenal cheese. So not that we don't have great cheeses in the U.S., I just think I don't want to choose a state.
1: Okay, fair (laughs) answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing this episode with us, Dr. Pam. I learned a lot, and I hope our listeners did too. And thanks for tuning in.
2: To
0: this episode. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Pam and Paola for today's conversation. As mentioned in the episode, be sure to take advantage of some of the resources shared today, like the Top Milk website. You can find the site in the episode description or visit topmilk.msu.edu. You can also find many of their resources in their YouTube channel, which you can also find in the episode description as well. Great information was shared today. So if you have an additional question or for additional information, reach Paola at paolabs at msu.edu. That's P-A-O-L-A-B-S at msu.edu. Or you can reach Dr. Rugg at P-L-R-U-E-G-G at msu.edu. Tune us next week, as we learn from the experience of a Michigan farm that has implemented lean management principles to manage their dairy operation. We will hear from the farmer and the consultant that will share interesting aspects and ideas from this approach. I'm sure many will find ideas that can help their own farms, so I hope you'll join us then.